Hello, Logic friends. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. These guys have been my reseller for over 15 years, and we could not do what we do without them. They're fantastic partners, no matter what size your business. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. The forum is open. If you haven't already signed up for forum.logic.tv, head on over there right now. We have almost 800 users, 65,000 page views a month. It really is becoming the place to go for all things flame and visual effects. That's forum.logic.tv. Logic.tv is now on Patreon. If you like what we're doing with the forum, Logic Live and Logic.tv, then please consider heading on over to patreon.com slash logic.tv and signing up as a patron. We have three tiers of sponsorship with some great swag, discounts, and other benefits for our patrons. So again, that's patreon.com slash logic.tv. I sat down with 2021 Flame Award winner Renee Tim to talk about her career, her philosophy on work and life, and the secret to her success. I'll give you a hint. It's joy. What an amazing human being and a real treasure to the Logic community. Here's my chat with 2021 Flame Award winner, Renee Tim. <laughs> uh, then uh, I hope that you find this experience uh, enjoyable, this being your first podcast. I'm sure I will. You're a great I host. try. I try. I try to, like, keep, you, hold on. I can you know what tell. I have to do is I have this, this app. Um, I need to turn off myself. <laughs> I, there we go. That's better. I don't want to. I just <laughs> turn turn yourself off. I, you know, I, I, it's something I'm working through. I'm working both ways. My therapist right now. And, you know, we make progress, but then there are setbacks because I disagree with myself constantly. Um, but no, no like the, we were we were equal. Like the the way that like this app was laid out is you and I were both in the same size window, and just like I have an ultra wide screen, and uh, I was like, Renee just turned her iPad like 90 degrees and it was <laughs> it was phenomenal because it took you for yeah, a ride here i am like going off on this you know one of these tangents where i'm like kind of like deep diving and oversharing and then all of a sudden like the whole image rotates and it's like it's kind of what i needed Snap you know, like you it. take like an etch-a-sketch and you like turn it you know to erase it and reset yes. that was just the etch-a-sketch that is my mind you just turned and reset it was perfect. So now we're going to have like a little hand signal. Anytime you get stuck, I'm just going to yep. go like this. <laughs> it's better than a safe word because then they, the audience at home won't know. They won't know. Love so um, what did you work on today? Um, I was doing beauty work for social media spots for a uh, liquor. I'm not sure I can oh, say. Oh, that's fine. So booze. <laughs> Let's unpack that. So you're doing beauty work for a social mm. media spot. And that makes you want to yep. drink? Yes, absolutely. No, it's a it's a it's a booze <laughs> spot. It's it's a it's a spot for We're liquor. here with flame artist and all day drinker of, Renee kinds. Tim. <laughs> oh, you wow. know it. Hey, it's work from home. Amen. So nobody knows. It, 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 Anything could be in the coffee mug is, is what I'm saying. I mean, you know? hey, man, I, I don't know about you, but I was drinking at work on site, too. I mean, everybody was. So. I'm not going to say it didn't happen because it did. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty <laughs> you know, common. I like I'm I mean, I'm now having flashbacks to like the time when the managing director at the place I was working at at the time had to have a meeting with everyone in the company because, you know, to remind us all that like. The beer in the fridge is there for clients 
and you know the the liquor in the liquor cabinet is Ooh. there for you know for clients well it you know we were spending like so much money <laughs> restocking the alcohol supply i mean like yes i mean this stuff is there for clients obviously you know we can partake but there were there were times in the ebbs and flows of the business where you know We would get drunk at work. I mean, I was trying to find an, another way to, <laughs> another way. <you> know, <laughs> Don't clean yeah. that up. <laughs> at this point, why bother? But um, yeah, it, I, I mean, every place I work, everybody was drinking. I mean, that's just part of the culture. Yeah. Clients too. I mean, even if it was just a beer, it wasn't like we rolled in at eleven. We're like, "Where's the mimosas?" <laughs> well, 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 if it was Saturday, yeah. for sure. <laughs> no, but it's. It, I mean, yeah, that was definitely part of the, the culture, having a beer, you know, even when the clients weren't there. It's just... It is. It's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I should ask you, I mean, is it like because it's a work hard, play hard kind of thing? I mean, it's really like an industry like no other. Yes. You know? Yes. It's definitely, um, I think for the places that I was at, you would normally go in maybe five or six o'clock. If you were working till seven or eight, pretty much everyone was in the kitchen grabbing a beer. And I mean, it wasn't like we were all getting drunk. We were just sort of social hour and then back to mm -hmm. your bays. Yep. You Decompress know? or um, blow off a little steam or just whatever yeah. and then go yeah. back in. Because you yeah. know that you're going to have to go back in exactly. and put in another six hours, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Those were the days. Yep. Wow. Wow. So where'd you get started? Where'd you get your start in the business? Digital domain. Really? Well, my very, very first start was actually my internship. I kind of count that because it was when I realized that's what I wanted to do. Because before that, I hadn't really considered working in this industry. And I was in college, so I mean, I guess that's okay. Um, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew the visual and computer graphics and art and sculpture and things physical, like I was doing installations in college and stuff, but I just didn't realize how to apply that to like a real world skill. And then someone suggested that I do an internship. So I got in at Industrial Light and Magic and um, my mentor, Diane Holland, um, who's just, she's, everybody knows who Diane is, at least in LA. Um, She's been a huge, huge help to a lot of people getting their start. And she was the one who got me into my internship. And she really put me on her shoulders there. She got me into places that most people couldn't go, rooms in front of other people, seeing things, doing things. And I just, I was really exposed to a lot of really great experiences there. And then when I, when the internship was over, I went back to school because it was during school. And she goes, when you graduate, you call me. And I thought, wow. oh, okay. But I just, I didn't think she was serious. I thought it was like, call me, you know. But when I graduated, I sent all my letters out on paper and letterhead to all these places. And one of the places I sent was Digital Domain because they had just started. And um, they were hiring, for pe hiring people. And I didn't realize, but Diane had left ILM and gone to start Digital Domain. And she was opening the mail for them and got my letter to Jim Cameron, opening Jim's mail. And she calls me and she's like, you get your butt down here. We're going to get you a job answering phones or something. We'll find something for you. And I was like, 
all right. So I got in my car and drove to LA. And five days after I graduated, I was answering phones at TV. Oh my God. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So she was, she was instrumental in, in sort of kickstarting my interest in visual effects and also getting me in the door at, you know, my first job. And after I got there, I was hounding Steve Gray for an interview. I think I was answering the phones for about three days, learning everybody's name, seeing everybody coming and going. I think there were only 50 of us there. And I was like, I definitely am not going to be answering phones. So I want to get in an interview. And so I got my portfolio and I like had an interview with the head of, you know, 2D. And he's like, well, um, we need somebody to run the IO department, which is all the input and output of the, from the scan and recording department for the digital artists. So I said, I can do that. I can do anything. I can just give it to me. I'll do it. So I built that department. I trained the technical assistants. I hired and trained the people. I, I wrote a software that tracked the database for the shots. And I, um, you know, was in charge of getting everything online for the digital artists. And while I was doing that, I was sitting next to Fred Raimundi, who didn't want to sit with all the other flame artists. He was one of the flame artists around the facility. And he wanted to sit with the technical assistants because we were all right out of college. And, you know, that was his youthful vibe. So he would sit there with his blue hair and play his guitar and, you know, shoot the shit with us. And he was super fun to be around. And that's when I got to see Flame for the first time. And he was working on the Love is Strong music video with the Rolling Stones. And he actually called me over and showed me how it worked and showed me what it did. And he's like, do you want to do like, you know, I can show you how to do the roto, you know, and he like, you know, let me do, I, I wouldn't say I did a shot, but he let me like, you know, play with it with him and see how it worked. And he was really cool about it. Um, you know, getting my, getting my appetite wet for the future. Yeah. So yeah. How, like, it's so wonderful to hear this story because like, how, how wonderful are people like Diane? Yeah. I mean, I had people like that in my life too, at the beginning of my career, like someone who saw the potential who saw like the, you know, the, the Renee that you would become and gave you that opportunity. And that had to like contribute to why you've been so generous uh, as a mentor with, with younger artists, like your whole career, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that she did that I do is I recognize a spark in someone. And I also celebrate differences. And I think one of the things that she did for me, and it sort of Every once in a while, you'll get someone that does this for you. If you dance to the beat of your own drum, it's it's like sometimes people are like, oh, you've got to do this to get a job or you've got to look a certain way or you've got to, you know, be a certain way. And yes, there is a lot of that happening. But also back when I was going for this interview, there were 400 applicants and only 20 and only one of those people got to work at ILM and everybody else was a runner or picking up film or picking up other things. And I got to work at ILM. And I was so scared that I wasn't going to be able to get that because it was really a fork in my professional career because I'm in school, I've got hot pink hair and I thought pretty sure that's going to be a deal breaker for a professional company like ILM. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be around professional people. I can't have pink hair. And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to change who I am. This is, I'm going to embrace it and go for it and see what it gets me. And she saw that and was like, 
when I asked her after I got there, I'm like, so how, why did you hire me? What made you choose me over all these other people? I mean, she didn't choose me out of the 400. There was, it was whittled down, but out of the 20, she was like, well, two reasons. One, you had computer experience and only two other people did. And you had pink hair and you looked like you'd be fun to work with and you were going to be my assistant. So I wanted someone fun to work with. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I think, you know, going forward, if I see a spark in someone or see them have a drive or see them try to do something that's a little different or, you know, whatever, I try to honor that difference because you need to bring your own voice to everything you do. Because if you do the same thing everyone else is doing, you're not going to stand out. And you also need to be um, award rewarded for that. And I think a lot of times when you do your own thing, you're not rewarded for it. You don't hear good job or I like what you're doing there. You just sometimes hear you're not doing good enough or you're not doing it right. And it's like, depending on what you're doing, how do you know it's right if it's so different? So Mm -hmm. I know I just went off on a total tangent, but, um, it's, (laughs) it's important to be your own person. Oh, completely. Completely. And I, I want to get back to that for some, but you reminded me of uh, something from my own past. I applied for that same internship at ILM when I was at, at school, when I was at NYU, and I didn't get it. And it was devastating. And I remember, like, I had a job. Wow, when I was, really? When I was, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a job. There uh, are like people a, from all over the U.S. applying. Like, I couldn't yeah. believe it. I was at this 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 point, though, where, like, I, so I was in school. I had a job at, like, a local, like, computer store or something just, you know, to make pocket money and um i i had to like enroll for for classes there was something like i was going to take a summer class or something like that i think that was that was what it was and i was reaching this point where like um i had to let nyu know like by a deadline if i was going to take the class Mm -hmm. and i hadn't heard back from ilm yet so i figured like what the hell so i called like I called and I called and I asked to speak to whoever's in charge of the intern. Who's in charge here? Let me <laughs> speak to L or M. Let me get George Lucas on the phone. No. Yeah. Like, uh, can I speak to someone who's in charge of the internship program? And uh, they put me on with somebody, with some guy. And I was like, hi. This, this is my, yeah. <laughs> someone with pink hair and a lot of motivation. I said, <laughs> well, I said, you know, my name is Andy Milkis and uh, I've applied for the internship. And, you know, I just, I have this schedule. I have this deadline where, you know, there's a, a I have to get my, application in it, you know, for summer courses at NYU. And I was just wondering if you happen to, you know, if you, you, have you made the decision already? And we were just waiting for letters to come back. And the guy said something like, so you need an answer right now? And I said, yes. And he went, then the answer is no. And I was like, like, here's, here's this this piece of paper represents my my heart. And it was like, I mean, I was devastated. I'm so sorry for you. What a terrible way to hear it too. Like you almost feel like you stepped on yourself. Uh, yes. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Andy show. Like, oh. no, yeah. But um, I'm so glad to hear a success story because I, I, you know, but you know, there's something that you said uh, just a minute ago too, that was like when you first, so you first got down to a digital domain and you know, you took mm-hmm. whatever job they had, which was reception. And you knew from the second that you were there, that that's not what you were there to do. You know, and then as mm. soon as some opportunity came in, like, I, I I don't know, I mean, I know you, but I don't know you very well, but I imagine, I'm going to make an assumption here, and please don't hate me for saying this, that when you were six years old, right, 
And you had to fill out like in, in like kindergarten, that thing like, you know, what I want to be when I grow up, it was not like an, um, a data in and out manager for a film scanning department of a company. Like, that's not what you wanted to do, but you saw it was step up, whatever it took, whatever it took to get from A to B, that's what I was going to do. And I yes. love that because I was the exact same way. And like, that's, I look for that in people also, like completely. I look for the spark yes. and the drive. And, you know, I look for somebody who wants my job ultimately. Yes. Because that's that's who I want working for me and working with me. You know? Yes, yes, definitely. I I agree. It's it's energizing to be around people who care and people who um who aren't necessarily specifically career driven either. I don't. I never saw myself as oh I'm gonna do this thing. It's like well this looks interesting. I'm gonna run over here and try to do that. And then this looks interesting. I'm gonna run over here and try to do that. And the minute I saw flame though, I knew that I was like, well, that, that looks like I can do a lot of things. And I think that's why mm -hmm. it's made it stick so much is because I can do so many things that are different in it, that it's held my interest for a really long time. So, mm -hmm. and totally, I, yeah, it's not yeah. that one, it's, it's not, a, it's not one discipline. It's all disciplines. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it gets you in front of people. And I think that is the key difference between being a digital artist and being a flame artist is I saw what it was. I saw, I mean, back in the, back then it was very like, Oh, don't talk to the flame artists and no, you're not allowed to touch the software and don't go in the room. And it really was voodoo and, and taboo. And I, you know, wasn't allowed to talk to the artists down there. I would have to sneak in at night and, you know, get on the box on my own. And, you know, it was big trouble if anybody had found out, but like it, it gave, yes, it gave it a, cachet but that wasn't why i saw because they were doing the interesting shots and they were in front of people and i knew that whatever i did i needed to be around people i didn't want to be in a dark room working on movies that just i was that wasn't my thing i wanted to be i'm energized by being around people so that was i think that's that's great and even being remote it's still a very collaborative work style i mean it's kept me totally immersed in the community um since i left and since the pandemic like since i left la it's really it's it's allowed me to network with more people and different disciplines and i suppose that's part of my own personality anyway but it's just it's been it's been great that's great i you know you you're right there's there's something you, you're there's something about running that room you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I used to bring, I used to teach at NYU as like in the, oh, I used really? to teach like a night course in, in flame back when they had like a flame in, in the labs. There. Oh, that's so cool. And I, I was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And I, I used to bring, we we would do a field trip, you know, once a semester and I would bring the class to like where I, wherever I worked at the time. And, you know, we'd walk around and see all the equipment, go into the machine rooms and everything. But the, the reaction everybody had when I brought them into a flame suite, doesn't matter which one it was was you sit there like and they, they look around at this room this like you know it's usually very very opulent you know and yeah you're 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 on you're on stage you know Battle you're station. on I mean, <laughs> totally and, mm -hmm. and you know it's it's like at that point the 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 what you do with the pen and with the buttons and everything is second nature like mm -hmm. you have to it's almost like if you watch somebody juggling while they're having a conversation, you know, like it's the work's going to happen and it's going to be great and it's going to get done and everybody's going to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hap that's secondary. 
you know, primary is the eye contact, is the engagement with the with the clients, is trying to figure out everybody's role in this room and their life story, you know, and like what they've brought into the room with you and what they want to leave with and how you're going to get from A to B, you know, and I love that. That's so great. Yes, that is exactly one of the things I love about working in a room with the clients is finding a way, finding a common ground as fast as you can so that you can make them as comfortable with you as possible so that it makes your job easy because the faster you build trust, the, the easier your job is and the more common commonalities you can have with your client, you know, sometimes it's, you know, back in the day, I would bring my dog in. It's like, Oh, you have your, your dog or, you know, I have some music on or, um, maybe sometime I had a candle or something and people would always comment on how cozy my room was at any facility I worked. And it, I don't know, I didn't do a lot, but I think it just had to do with the little things I did to make it tidy, make sure that the pillows are good, that the client, that the stuff is put away, that the room is clean, you're visually, you know, comfortable and then make it welcoming. And mm -hmm. the, the, if you can get that done quickly, once you're in the room, it's all about establishing a rapport. You know, you figure out if they're in a bad mood, no chit chat. If they want to chit chat, you got to be the storyteller. Or if, you know, you got to be the narrator sometimes. They want to know every single button you're pushing. And so it's like, okay, you know, and you're working and you're pushing your buttons. And it's like telling them, what does that little bubble do? But it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny how often you get asked the same thing over and over. So it does, it's, it's kind of easy in that sense because all, a lot of the clients are just a, a um, similar, you know, they're like, Oh, some of them are paying attention. Some of them aren't, you know, they've, they're on to their next job sometimes by the time they get in your flame base. So sometimes they're more laid back in that sense, or sometimes they hang out for three days after your job's delivered just because you're so cozy and they don't want to go back to work. Or they don't want to fly back somewhere because you're at the beach or whatever. And that's great. It was an entirely different kind of great when like the clock was ticking and they paid by the hour. Oh, yeah. But it's still great <laughs> to have them do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that. I read um, I read this book a few years ago. It was called, um, I believe, I'm going to script the title. Oh, don't kill me. It's called Setting the Table. And it was by Danny Meyer, mm -hmm. who's like the famous New York restaurateur. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, you know, Gramercy Tavern and, uh, and Shake Shack and Union Square uh, well, 11 Madison Park, that was it. But famous, famous, famous restaurateur. And the book was incredible because the parallels to what we do were were, were amazing. It, like the parallels to like the, the fine dining experience, meaning like um, you're, you're setting the table for, I could totally for see the, it. the customer yeah, yeah. when they come yeah. in. And what's going on in those through those two doors is chaos that they can never know mm -hmm. about. You know, mm -hmm. and then you think about how many times you're like texting your producer on the side or, you know, I mean, I've, there've been times where I've like just taken the phone off the hook and, you know, like, so my producer could hear what was going on, you know, like, in, but they can, they can never know, you know, everything must be perfect. It must be timed perfectly. And I think this is the most important thing I took away from, from that book is that if something doesn't go right, if there's a mistake, you, which you never want to have happen, of course, but you have the opportunity to to like write the closing chapter of the story, you know. Um, you 
and that all comes down to 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 the relationship, you know. Like, I, of course, God forbid, like something goes out wrong or anything like that, but it it, it doesn't matter, you know. You, when you build that that level of trust, when you when you when you build that connection with the client, you have the opportunity to um, decide what happens next, you know. And and that that also goes for when things go perfectly well, you know, whether they went. Whether they come back, how often they come back, you, you're in complete control of the experience. I guess that's really it. That's well put. And yeah. it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful or an empowering uh, a thing to say. And I started looking at other, you know, like high end professionals in the world. Whether it's like you go to a doctor or you go to a lawyer or you go to you know anything, they to to um to see how they handle the same kind of situation, you know how they how they present information good bad or otherwise how they take care of the patient or the client the bedside manner you know i can't tell you how many times i've had a client come in and and it's everyone looks like they're going to die you know like they're all on suicide watch and it's like you know they're coming to you with oh all God. of their baggage you know it is like, so true you know, it is so true you know? they come to you and they're like pamper me you know, they want the sushi, it's they just, want the drinks, they want the puppy, they want to go for a walk, they want to get out of their office, they're super stressed, their relationship's not good, their work's, you know, stressful, mm -hmm. and they just, they had this job is a mess, and will you please just fix it? And yep. they just, they, Bingo. you know, yeah, yeah, I, I like how you, you know, yeah, you talk about bedside manner, and you're in control of the experience, it really is true, you're the buck, it's, it stops mm -hmm. with you. It's like if everything's a shit show outside your room, you're the conduit. You're the only one who needs to know that because if you can fix it or shut it down before it gets to your bay, if you don't freak out about it, the clients aren't going to freak out about it. If you freak out about every little thing, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't do that. I mean, I've had, I've had, I've recommended other people before that, you know, I thought were great artists I've worked with and I've had the producers come to me afterwards and be like, they melt down in front of clients. They get so flustered and they talk through their work. So they're like, oh, well, we got to fix this, you know. And the mumbling, you know, your client's right there. If they hear you voicing your frustrations, <laughs> yeah, they're not instilling a lot of confidence. And so I think that, you know, not just being able yep. to do the work, but also to be able to, uh, you know, ninja your way through, through the, the finish line. In, no, in any way you can manner it. Oh, it's the greatest yeah. feeling, right? When you pull, when you like pull that out of the fire or bring it, whatever it is, bring it across the finish mm. line. It's the greatest mm -hmm. feeling in the world. I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't. I was gonna say I don't tell this to many people, but I'm gonna tell it to everyone. I'm like, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. Like, I, or it's not even. It's like I'm. I have this like chronic, sometimes like problem of being like self, like constantly like wondering what are people thinking or. What, did I say something it's too wrong quiet in here? The only time I don't feel that way, yeah. Well, the only time I don't feel that way is when mm. I'm in the room. You know, it's because, like you you said, with the with the the, the pillows and the music and the, I determine the first impression. You know, if I feel like you know uh, I'm I'm the, the ugliest person in the room or the oldest person in the room or there's something about the way I'm dressed, but whatever those things are, it doesn't matter. When they come in, I I've. Uh, I'm in control of the first impression. Well, you're also the most important person in the room, no matter what, because you're in charge of their job. Yes. So you're at Digital Domain. You're working in the I.O. department. 
and you had a chance to roto something for the first time. What was your first like solo session, your first solo shot, first thing Ooh. you did on your own where you were wondering like, oh my God. Well, I mean, I, I did a lot of stuff before Flame. I mean, a lot of different things. I was, uh, I was using Nuke command line because they were writing it. So I was comping with my words <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, right. and Matador Paint. I think T23D, um, the ride film, was something mm -hmm. early on where I did 3D paint textures for Arnold and on the motorcycle. But my first my first shot where I rotoed, it may have been something on Strange Days. I was doing a lot of dust busting for that. And it may have been Apollo 13. Those two were kind of near around the same time in my distant memory. Uh, but yeah, for Rocket... A lot of rockets, jets, and stuff. So I think it felt big. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt important that we knew that we were doing something cool, and but also it just felt like I was part of a really big machine. I was one very small piece. I mean, so many people would touch a shot. So whether I was rotoing it or dust busting it, you know, seven or eight people before me had done stuff for it. You know, there were people that were in charge of many different aspects of these shots. So. Um, it was just, it was just cool to be a part of those teams of people and learning all around me and having that, that energy and that buzz of, you know, walking down the hall and being like, what are you doing? And it's something totally different than me. That's great. That's such a great place to have your like formative experiences in yeah. visual effects, you know, where you have all those, where you just yeah. have the people. What about, um, when did you like first go out on your own, whether it was freelance or, you know, go to a, a smaller shop. I mean, like I went from, from tape house digital where I was one of like eight people or something like that to like being the only flame artist at an edit house, you know, where I was going to like make my mark on the world, which, <laughs> but, um, I remember making that transition and, and, and I remember the first job that I did and realizing when it was done that I did it oh, all by wow. myself and it was amazing. Did you have anything like that? Um, well, when I, when I was working at DD, I didn't want to be, this may sound like ungrateful or I don't know. It's just, it's just the way I am. I didn't want to be in the industry and be at my first job for a long time. I didn't want to be like, well, this, this is it. I'm here and just stay there. Like I wanted to see everything. So I made it my mission to either see the inside of or work at as many post houses as I could, because I wanted that that depth of experience. Just know, well, this is how this place works. I want to know how all the places worked. So I left after two years and I had like, I don't know, four different positions there. And I went up to Tippett Studio to work on Starship Troopers. Um, oh, wow. And then I was like, well, I don't want to be in the Bay Area because all the jobs are in LA. I kind of have to move back. So Steve Gray, the guy who gave me my first like artist job and technical job, he had left and gone to Square USA to work on Parasite Eve, the video game. He goes, if you want to come back to LA, I'll move you back down here and you can be a flame artist on the game. And I'm like, really? Because that's what I really want to do. Because at Tippett and at DD, I wasn't on the flame. So he goes, I'll get you a Flint station and you can do Flint. And we'll do, I did full motion video sequences, those little short movies between gameplay um on flint for a couple of years and that that was fun that was cool 
that was a, a, a fun group of people. Um, I got to really like learn the software at that point. Cause that was just what I did. I sat on it and did that. And I think my, and, and up to that point I had done features and that was my first video game. And then when I left there, I want to say I went to, Ooh, this is a while ago. I guess I came back. Oh, Station X Studios. Um, I was not on Flame then. So I came back to DD in 1998, and that was when I was a Flame artist. So it's kind of came full circle, and I got to work on Bjork's video at that point, her music video for Hunter. So that was that was super fun because I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. <laughs> um, yeah. That's awesome. What's your like what what's your learning style? How do you learn new things? How do you approach Mm. The unknown. I just start push, pushing buttons. <laughs> and if I can't figure it out, I'll, I'll look up a phrase of something that gets me started or I'll find the wiki page or a man page or whatever and just be like, yeah, okay, I got it. And then I'll just start pushing buttons again. But I don't, I'm not super methodical about it. Um, unless it's like, something that's a really technical deep dive kind of thing. Like then I just get kind of frustrated because my button pushing doesn't work and I have to learn it. <laughs> but then I'll, <laughs> I'll go through and I'll see if I yep. can find a video. Cause I like seeing someone do it and then I'll be like, okay, I see them do it. And I'll just play it over and over. So that's why I really like Grant K's videos. I like um, your, your Sunday tutorial stuff that really, um, but I mean, I read manuals too. I'm a visual learner and I like the words, but I really like having the video. So, and having access to the software is a huge thing. I mean, God, trying to learn new stuff when you were freelance, when you didn't have a system at home, like, oh my God, I can't tell you. It's already terrifying every time you step into a new facility, even if you've worked for them before, because the clients knew every time. So I'd try to stay at five or six places. But you walk in as a freelancer, and the first thing you get is clients are going to be here at 11. Here's your conform. Here's this. And so if you've worked there, you know how to find the stuff on the drives and where the stuff is. But sometimes you're like, where's this? Where's that? Where's this? Who's my editor? Who's my producer? And you're trying to do all that. And, oh, the clients are here. Ah, you know, and you're trying to just get your head around everything. So one time, one of the places I worked with regularly called me on the Friday before the Monday because they were going to book me Monday. And they said, we've just upgraded our system. So if you want to come in over the weekend and learn the new interface before you come in on Monday, you're welcome to. And I'm like, thank God, because that was the thing that just was so scary. <laughs> it's like, you know, you have all these other things that are unknowns and you're already stressed out, and nervous to be, you know, in front of clients or in front of a new client or your new job every single time. But then to have the software changing out from underneath you, it was like, what version is this company going to be running? I don't know. And then the whole like, time they switched they added a timeline in i about had kittens and i walked in on that one i was like oh my god <laughs> so yeah i forgot about that or they changed the exit yeah. button Those are some... <laughs> that was a little thing yeah. but i mean yeah there's been there's been some pretty big improvements and i'm happy that they're there it's just was now i'm at home and i can get on there when i need to and learn the tool when i need to 
it is amazing, right? The bar- like the the barrier to entry is like zero. I mean, it's not zero because you have to have a, a computer and, and a credit card. <laughs> and everything, but it's yeah, that was the hardest thing back in the day. You know, was like you had to have access to a place. Like you, you well, and also it wasn't just you had you know? to have access to a place. You had to have access, like you had to have some kind of chops and know somebody because they didn't just let you in to work on a flame. You could ruin a lot of stuff really quickly if you didn't know what you were doing. I mean, whoops, deleted the project. Oh, my God. So, yep. Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, man. So uh, let's see. When last we left you, you were back at, at, at Digital Domain 1998. Oh, man. Right? You worked on the Bjork video. Where did you go from there? Where did you go? Uh, how long were you back at DD and where did you go from there? Um, I was freelance there for a year or so. Um, I went to Sony. Um I was an Inferno artist at Sony for a year, maybe. And then at, um, and I was working on features. And that was the, the last time that I wanted to work on movies. I had had it because, um, what was the movie I was working on? I'm going to space out on the movie. Uh, women are from, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, something like that. Um, Gary Shandling. The visual effects juggernaut, yes. Yeah, yeah. One one of the things that was my last straw was I worked on a shot that took two and a half months. And it was... What? I'm going to get all emotional talking about this. So first of all, it was two and a half months for a shot. It was a woman standing on a podium wearing a see-through sequin skin-colored uh, leotard, unitard, and she's standing with her arms at her sides and her legs apart, spinning on a stage. And it was supposed to be for a hologram effect. But all of the grips and all of the guys that totally did not need to be there were leaning in and looking. And it's like, yeah, she's naked under the, but it was just like the gawking of the women, the, the two and a half month long shot. And then to add on top of that, the if you've ever worked with or for Sony, they are very, very particular about the finishing and they look at every single and every single RGB channel to make sure that the grain is perfect, that everything is, you know, cherry on top, it's perfect. And so it's a lot of, and it's a lot of supervisors. So if one person would come in and final a shot, another person would come in and be like, unfinal. So there was, a, there was that, it was very frustrating. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm over it. I don't wanna do this anymore. I want to do commercial work. This is, I want it faster turnaround. This is just, I'm, I'm angry and frustrated at this whole process. So I, I went to method studios. I was able to get in there and worked with Alex fresh and boy, was that hard. I had to basically hit restart on my career because up at that point, features and commercials were entirely different industries. This was in 99. You cannot, come from the feature world, which, you know, and then go work in 720 by 480. Um, the pace is different. It's like a long distance runner versus a sprinter. And the clients are in front of you where they weren't, you know, necessarily on the movies. And it's just, you know, and so I had to work at night. I was back when I had my motorcycle, I was working at night. Um, uh, trying to like prove myself that I could do this. And I remember being one of the only people that understood how grain worked back then because they didn't have to deal with it. Um, and it, it was, 
it was a little frustrating starting over, but I got to work on really cool stuff. I got to work on some red hot chili peppers videos and the, the, the bad cheetah spot, the Mountain Dew bad cheetah. Oh yeah. 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 I got to work on that. I did sky splits on that and did a bunch of roto and some cleanup, some wire removals. Got to work with some fun, some fun people there too. But then that was sort of the start of my commercial freelance career, I would say. And then after that, it was a lot of a lot of places because I don't know. I've I've worked at sixty post houses, so I don't know if you want to <laughs> get too nitty gritty with. <laughs> I know what you're doing here, and I don't think you want to do Let's it. Let's <laughs> get started. Yeah. Fine. Um, but yeah, I think that that was a, that was a, a, a specific change in things for me. And then I started doing set work, working. I got to work at a place called Hectic Electric. Hectic Electric, and they're an Amsterdam company. Um, they hired me to be a visual effects supervisor for a brand beer commercial. Uh, and we shot in Palm Springs, and then I flew back to Amsterdam and did the finishing. And that was a really cool experience. Wow. And another really fun place I worked, I, well, fun, it, I have a love-hate relationship with them, um, is Fox Sports. I won't say love-hate. It was, it was it was frustrating because I'm not into sports, Sure. but it was really cool artistically because they really, really pushed you. Um, they would come in and be like, I have this idea. And you, then you had to make a commercial out of that. Like, ah, I have nothing to go on. We were like separated at birth or something. Cause I did so, like such a similar path. Like I took a job at um, Broadway video, right. Which was like Lauren Michaels post-production facility. So, you know, we, I mean, I think I only did like one thing for SNL when I was there, but it was my first ever mm -hmm. like foray into that broadcast world where like the producer, I remember producer came in and he's like, said, you know, today we're making a, a, a promo for like big movie Sunday on TNT. All right. Well, here's the logo. Oh and, God. Um, <laughs> do something you know, with this. <laughs> we have eight hours. So what do you want to do? And it's like, all right, this is fun. Let's try this. Well, you know, this is where I met GP. Um, we we worked together uh, at Fox Sports, and I was so in awe. I'm still in awe with him. He's so creative with nothing. He's always been able to do really cool shit with nothing. Like I was always, I was like, how did you, how did you make a shard of glass? And he's like, oh, you just take a two flat things and put a lens flare and make a line and blah, 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 and now you've got shards of glass and it's exploding. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, oh my God, I was just really, I was trying to learn from him. And the other thing they did that was really cool there um, was they would shoot physical elements, which I was really intrigued by. The, the graphic designers down the hall would have a down camera and we had to do logo stuff. And so they would print, like one of the fun ones I saw them doing is they'd print on acetone and they'd float it in water and then they'd have it slow-mo camera and they'd capture that. And then they would do cool Morphe things with it. So that was just, that was a cool thing to watch in a, in a you know, physical effects for a digital finish and gave me a lot of creative ideas. That's great. Everybody should be in that kind of environment who, who isn't normally, you know, where you really have to just create something from nothing. Yeah. It's great cross training. Yeah. I worked when I was working at prologue, they did that stuff too. Um, they did a lot of, uh, that's Kyle Cooper's company. Um, he does, uh, he's known for his movie intros. His most famous one is just doing title design for Seven. Oh, wow. Okay. He's the one that burns film and 
does like he'll you know was famous for locking himself in a room and doing something cool so that no one could know his way the way he did in his process and when i worked for his company everyone he surrounded himself was just amazing artists i mean i was i was working on iron man 2 there and some other things they did robin hood while i was there and i remember walking in and seeing all the people with light tables and calligraphy pens and pen and ink and paint and they were painting and drawing and creating these physical beautiful calligraphy letters that then they would scan and then do things with but it just was so neat to see all of the aspects of the fine arts come into play and that's circling way back around to the beginning is what do you bring you know like you need to have a full mm -hmm. array of tools and you can't have those tools if all you learned was how to use software you gotta come at it from wherever you came come from and bring all of the, the whole package wow did you ever go staff again after uh, your stint in film or have you been freelance ever since? Um, I was freelance. So I was staff at DD and then I was, I was at Cinesite in 2000 for two and a half years, but I wasn't staff. I was like six month contract. So I did have like, you know, some benefits, but it was like permalance kind of thing. And then the same thing with Fox, I was, you know, contract based. So they'd hire you for six months at a time. But um, I was never staff again. I've always been freelance. So yeah, I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I think the longest job I had was maybe either Cinecide or Fox. Yeah, one of those two. And that was a long time ago. Um, I've had a lot of clients that I've worked with over the years a lot for many years that I have a good relationship with them. And so I feel like I'm, you know, they're my family. But as far as like staff, I mean, no, it's always been there. They book me when they're busy and when they're not, these other people are usually busy. And so you just bounce around and, and there it is. Yeah. So in your, in your career now, at this point, are you working direct for clients or are you still working for post houses? No, I do both. I like have exclusively. Yeah, no, I have, um, I have a relationship with the post houses. And so I'm sometimes hired to be, a you know uh, like what i'm doing today i'm just one of many flame artists uh and then sometimes a producer will come to me and they're like i have a job i just i just need a flame artist and i'm like okay so the producer is hiring me for this thing i've worked with ad agencies i work a lot with an agency in la whose um car you know car commercials and so mm -hmm. i'm an agency Work with agencies that way. And then I'm trying to think there's other ways. Oh, for Bombshell, I was working for, it wasn't, it was a post house, but it was, I was hired as an independent contractor as part of that post house. So it's just, just all the way, all the ways you can be hired. I feel like I'm still doing all of that. That's great. And were you doing that before you moved to Michigan? I'm going to say a little bit, but not nearly to the extent I'm doing it now. Mostly I was working for post houses. Every once in a while I have a colorist throw me a job or agency producer would show, you know, an agency would throw me something. But mostly I was working for post houses. And mm -hmm. also what's crazy is since I left, I've worked on more types of things. Like I had never worked on a TV show, like episodic. And I've worked on an episodic now. Mm -hmm. You know, I have done car commercials, music videos, episodic, a movie, social media spots. I mean, I feel like I feel like the only thing I haven't done since I've moved here is a ride film. 
there was something. Oh, and I did the the opening with Coldplay um, for the Brit Awards. Oh, cool. And I helped with the Emmy opening last year, two years ago. So, yeah, there's just all these little things. There's so many different ways that you can branch out. So I think that's why I've been able to stay busy is there's just a lot of ways to get work and a lot of different avenues to get it. You know, it's not just producers. It's it's the CG house, you know, doesn't know how to deal with flame, but they know they need it. So they'll call me. They got my name from somebody. So that's what I mean by like, there's a lot of different ways you can get the work. It's not just it's necessarily through producers. Yeah, you talked about that a lot when we uh, when we did that Logic Live. Right. A hundred years ago, it seems like at this point, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, seems like it. It's like almost a full pandemic ago. Yeah. Um, that was, that was, that like, that was that. like four waves but, ago. Exactly. <laughs> you know, four variants ago. What's your secret for finding the work, getting the work, and staying engaged. I mean, I really, I, you said, you said something right at the beginning of our interview here that even though you're working remotely now, you still have that, that interactivity and, and the, the relationships, like even with the client, even though you're not in the room with the client, you have that. What's, what's your secret? What's your philosophy? How do you, how do you make all that work for yourself? Cause you've been very successful. Thank you. Well, I guess I try and radiate positivity and maybe people are attracted to that. Like, uh, lightning bug. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that was the case. I am constantly reaching out to people and not like a job and not like, you know, spending so many hours a day, X, Y, Z, not consciously, but sort of like, it's sort of like asking me, how do I breathe? How, how, what makes you breathe every day? It's like, it's just part of what I do, I think. But when I've tried to break it down and like, what am I doing that's different? I think the number one thing is I am reaching out to people. I do, I pick up the phone and I text people. Mostly I'm texting these days. I'll call people, I'll send people like a little email. I try to keep it short and direct because people are busy or stressed out still. Um, and I also, you know, for, for work, I think... The number one thing is LinkedIn. It really is. I mean, I'm always um, sharing a job post that I, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of recruiters. And if I see something that's sort of relevant uh, in my arena, I'll share that job post. And that makes you on a radar because people will respond to that. Um, I share work that I've done so that's a way to kind of cast a, a net so that you're staying on people's radar. I think you just have to keep having a heartbeat in public because if you just fall off the internet, the digital radar, you, people aren't going to remember about you. And I think if you can just find a way to keep talking about what the latest fun thing is you're doing, um, you kind of stay on people's radar so that you're, I think MB also brought it up on uh, the podcast for Ask a Flame Artist. If you can be the last person someone spoke to, you're the first person they think of the next time they have a job. So you have to keep cycling through your contacts. And it's not because I'm fishing for work. It's just, I'm checking in with people. But if I haven't talked to somebody in a while, I'll be like, Hey, I was thinking about you. Just want to make sure you're okay. Cause you know, I had a job I wish I could have hired you for or whatever. And if you're, if you're not busy and you're, or you're just starting out, I think the thing that you can do is 
make, give yourself a project. Like, you know, you have a, a phone, you can shoot footage. Um, you can download footage, um, you know, and don't, you don't necessarily have to do like a digital project either. I mean, go do something that brings you joy. You know, I bake bread. I train my dogs, get off the computer, get outside, you know, get, go ride your bike, go for a walk because that recharges your battery. And if you're just constantly looking for work, trying to connect, trying to do this thing that's outside your comfort zone or outside your normal way of working, I think it's really easy to get frustrated and flustered and disappointed because you just feel like you're hitting a number or you've done it three times or you've, you know, you're trying to chart this path that isn't natural for you. And you, I don't, the more you do a thing, the more natural it will become, but it can also be very frustrating when you're isolated. And so if you can find a way to connect with people who are responding to you, keep connecting with those people who are responding to you. You know, if someone, if you said hello and they say hi back, then circle back to that person again and see if they have anybody they can, you know, put you in touch with. You know, I'm, I have a, a mentee in London through the Visual Effects Society. And I, for my mentorship program with him, um, we've, I've been getting interviews with owners of other companies or people that do what I think he might want to do someday and just trying to expand his network by introducing him to those people and sending him links on LinkedIn or sending him ways on how to negotiate your salary or just, you know, trying to like shape his career a little bit and answer his questions. But, you know, maybe find a mentor. And if you can't, you know, if you don't have someone who can actually be your mentor, try and find someone you look up to and ask them questions. Because I think especially right now, a lot of people have been a lot more open since the pen, since before, I think a lot of people, at least in my experience, flame artists were a lot more protective and a little more ornery about their career, about like, don't ask me, I'm more important, blah, blah, blah. But now I, I'm seeing less of that. Oh, I've worked <laughs> with plenty of people who are like, you know, they've sent people away crying. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And it's just like, okay, you don't have to be like that. Uh -huh. But if I think there's fewer people like that out there now. And there's a lot more friendly people, especially with your community that you've made with Randy and everybody contributing. You've created this environment where it's safe to ask questions. And if it's not safe, you have the Ask a Flame Artist podcast where you can be anonymous. And I just think that finding your community is really important and having a safe place to ask questions. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. That was really the motivation behind building the, I mean, behind building, especially the forum was, you know, we've all, we've all been there and now like I said, more than ever, mm -hmm. it's, you know, you need to have that comfort zone uh, or that comfortable place where you can, mm -hmm. because we all need to grow, you know, we all, that, that was, that was the whole like impetus for starting the logic lives and everything was everybody all of a sudden found themselves with nothing to do. So let's use that time productively and let's, mm -hmm. let's all be better for it. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many avenues where you've created a safe place and a creative space and a way for people to share ideas. It feels so much more organic and more modern being off of Facebook because it's easily searchable. Mm -hmm. It's got tons of, you know, interesting people on there and lots of different ways for you to get the information. And um, it's just, it's been such a great thing to have since we've been isolated. I don't, I don't feel isolated at all. 
It's awesome. Amen. Thank you. Oh, thank hey, you, I thank used you. it this morning. I posted a, a I couldn't figure out how to export an FBX with uh, with all the objects. So I posted on the huh. forum. And you know who answered my question? Randy. Randy McAtee, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a closed loop. Yes, it is. <laughs> Renee, thank you very, very much. Not just the time you spent talking with us today, but the, everything that you do and everything you've done for the community and for always being so generous. It's been such a great thing getting to know you and, and I can't wait to see you face to face again and just to hang out. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm glad we talked tonight because, you know, our, our career paths have been so, there's so many similarities. I, cool. I already loved you, but now it's a, you're a kindred spirit. So I want to, you know. Oh, thank you. You're great. Thank you so much, Renee. I've really had a good time getting to know you too. I'm so glad we we met and we had a chance to meet each other in person. And I'm really looking forward to giving you a great big hug when I see you again. Done. Done. All right. Thanks so much, Renee. All right. Thank you, Andy. Everyone knows that Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. Mocha, Sapphire, Silhouette Paint, Continuum, and the new Optics. You can save 15% on all of Boris FX plugins, either standalone or subscription, by using the code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L, lowercase o-g-i-k, dash one five at checkout. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. See you next time.